0: You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal L.A. Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Okay, I handed something out last week. If you didn't get it, I have more copies. Uh, We talked about sin last week, and I found this cool thing in my Bible software called 31 New Testament Descriptions of Sinful Mankind. And uh, there's more than 31 verses But just talking about all the different ways the Bible describes our sinful nature. uh, Not just a list of sin, but how we're fallen, how we need God. So, if you didn't get one, I'll have them right here on the stage. Uh, Yeah, I'll have them right up here. And um, you can help me pass out those other ones, though, if you want. And then I have... um, So that's from last week, if you didn't get one of these. And then tonight, we're going to review two studies, but we have the wrong one on one side on accident. We have the cross study um, from last week again. So it's a transformation It was supposed to be the church. That's okay. Our helper is amazing. And uh, so uh, I don't have the the church study here for you, but uh, it was already emailed to you, plus it's also online on elevatecoastal.com on on the... um, what do you call it? The uh, upload section. So uh, just so you know, all these lessons are recorded. The audio, you can have them automatically podcasted to your iPhone or uh, Android or whatever smartphone you have. It'll just automatically download it once you set it up every week. So you can listen to it again or listen to it on the way to work or you can actually text it to somebody. Hey, listen to this lesson. It might really help you. Or someone in your small group that's missing or sick, you could send it to them. Um, but it's, it's great we have the resource. Plus, all these lessons are up on uh, the same website in PDF form. So you could print it out for somebody. You could print out one page of the keynote if you wanted. Sometimes you can't catch everything. That's okay. You can go back to it. But there's a lot of resources, and I really appreciate Turnwall and all the work he's done as a volunteer. Turnwall, can you stand up since nobody knows who you are? That's uh, Turnwall. Turnwall. Um, I really appreciate uh, Turnwall. Ivan stood up, too, to try to get some love. No, it's not. It's, that's Turnwall. The reason I had him stand up is he normally has a hat on the other 364 days a year. So I wanted you to see what he looked like outside of that. But this is his brainchild. This is his, something he does as a volunteer to help us. And the level of professionalism, I've done singles ministry for 15-plus years. I've never seen so much excellence, uh, whether it's with the update whether it's with the website, whether it's with the audio recordings. It's all there, and it's very professional. So thank you, Turnwell. Thanks for uh, being so on it. And he's always on me if I didn't give him the lesson. Hey, where is it? So I can upload it. So please go back and use the resources, refer the resources, and help a brother out. Everybody has a weak person in their group that you can say, Hey, I, I didn't see you last Wednesday. I just wanted to send you the lesson if you hadn't had a chance to look at it. I think it really might speak to you. might strengthen you. That's not the only way to strengthen people. I'm just saying we have a lot to offer there. Okay? Uh, A few other quick things. September 20th, it's about a month, a little less than a month from now, in three weeks, we're having our first uh, regional uh, singles, uh, not singles, regional uh, small group leaders meeting uh, with uh, the Marichis leading the region, and that's going to happen Sunday, 4 to 7. I think it's at Torrance Cultural Arts Center. Torrance Cultural Arts Center, Sunday, August 20th, September 20th, excuse me, 4 to 7 p.m. Dinner is provided. Assistants are welcome. Um, You're going to get a book as well. And um, so we'll have like an hour of fellowship and a meal. We'll have an hour together with all the leaders in the region. And then we'll have an hour with our specific ministry. So the singles will meet together. So please plan on that. Now, here's why I'm bringing it up. Um, You have to go register for it because we want to buy enough food and not too much or too little. And we want to buy enough books and not too much. So Is there any leaders that have not gotten emailed the link yet to register? It literally took me, I registered, took me about maybe eight seconds. Just type in your name, drop down which group you're from, click submit, and that's it. And then you get, has anybody not seen it yet? Any of the small group leaders? Not seen what I'm talking about? Okay, is anyone that's a small group leader that's not registered yet? Confess. Okay. (laughs) Keep your hands up. I just want to see, keep your hands up. If you've not registered for the meeting yet, The dinner. Okay. Could you please, before Friday, could you please go on there or do it tonight or do it whatever tomorrow morning. Could you please go on there on your phone or on your computer and just put your name in, hit the drop down to which ministry you're in and hit submit. That's it. Just so we can know who's coming and we have enough resources. Okay? Okay. Last uh, couple things. I'm going to see if I did it right again. Layra, Did I say it right? Okay. Lara Nunn, I pronounced it wrong on Sunday, but Lara Nunn is uh, our new sister in Christ. She got baptized. On <laughs> she got baptized on Sunday uh, after church uh, in the beautiful Pacific Ocean. And so in the South Bay Ministry, welcome Lara. Uh, it's great to have you. Look forward to hearing your testimony here on stage, uh, eventually here soon. She's not even listening, but anyway, it's great to have Layra, huh? She's messing around over there. Somebody's got to teach these young Christians. You know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, okay. Last piece of news, and then we're going to jump into the lesson. Um, I uh, I did not. I don't typically recommend books like say, hey, go buy this, and I don't get a commission, and the church doesn't make money. In fact, I try to get them as cheap as I can and free shipping. And discounted at a bulk rate, you know what I'm saying, to get to pass it on to you. Um, we're going to start this new series next week. It's four, four weeks. It's called Trusting God When Life Hurts. And uh, this is one of the best books I've ever read. This is a once a year kind of a read. Um, very Bible rich. And it'll really, it'll really make you think a lot. Like, you know, love God with all your mind. It'll really make you think deeply. In fact, I listened to it twice on the leave because I was hurting so much. I listened to it twice, and there's some of the chapters I listened to two times. I have the audio in the Kindle, but some of them I listened to two times. Some of them I listened to up to ten times, because they're just um, kind of like that light buoy, you know, in the ocean. That you just It just helped me. The Bible helped me just stay afloat, and so I really recommend it. Um, we've got 60 copies. Obviously, there's more than 60 people in the room. I got them for $12, and normally like 15 or 16 plus tax plus shipping. We got them for $12, so... Cash for check in the corner. When they're gone, they're gone. I probably won't order anymore. You can buy the Kindle version for 9.99, And now they have a new thing called WhisperSync, where you can buy the audio as well for like 4 bucks more. And then if you listen while you're in your car and you stop, then it goes, and then you lift on your phone at lunch, it automatically syncs from where you were listening to where you were reading back and forth, which is really cool. And it's usually only like 4 or $5 more. So you can buy it online if you want. And the, the e-copy, if you're an e-book on a person, you can get the audio. You can get them both combined through Amazon or you can buy the hard copy today uh, six, for 60 people that get them. Uh, six. But I really, I strongly recommend this book for, you, for your own biblical depth and uh, growth. And I think it will really minister. It's going to make some, for some amazing quiet times and a lot of growth. So, sound good? Okay, can I get someone to help hand out those uh, right there, if you don't mind, please? Okay, uh, if you're visiting tonight for the first time or again... Uh, We're doing a series called The Life-Changing Word of God, and uh, tonight is part four, and tonight's the end, and and what we do is uh, we really believe that there is incredible power in the Bible. It's not in the pages. It's not in the translation. It's in God's Spirit written down. Do you realize the Bible is the only place where, and I've told this to people a lot, the Bible is the only place where you know what God thinks. A lot of people give a lot of conjecture. Well, I think God, and I think God that, and I think God this, and I say, well, how do you know you're right? I don't know, I just feel like, and I feel like, and I say, unless God says it, be careful. The Bible is the only place where the invisible God, who's visibly everywhere, His thoughts are recorded. I I preached uh, on Sunday uh, a sermon called God Knows how well God knows us. And, and I talked about Psalm 139, and at the end of it, the, David says, God, how precious to me are your thoughts. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the sands, of, s- s- sands on the seashore. And I, just, and I shared on Sunday that I, I really want us to have such a love for the thoughts of God, where we care so much more about what God thinks than what we think than what God feels, than what we feel, than what God thinks, than what a leader thinks, or a boss thinks, or parents think, or what some, we think someone thinks that they're not really thinking. That, we're, that Our attitude is, I am so concerned and I'm so serious about what God thinks. How precious to me are your thoughts. You know, I shared about um, the Oracle of Omaha, one of the wealthiest men ever, Warren Buffett. He's probably close to 80 or in his 80s. He's a multi-multi-multi-multi-multi-multi-billionaire. And people would pay $200,000 to have lunch with him for an hour. Why? Because how precious are his thoughts. This guy has been making money for 30 years. His stock is worth $250,000 a share. One share. And so they're like, hey, I want to talk with this guy. What's he going to dispense? Maybe it'll help me be wealthy. How much more should we crave God's thoughts. And that's the premise of what we're talking about today. God's word is so powerful. And I want to ask you, you know, we've been doing this study on studying the Bible with people. How to help people. How much have you went after trying to help someone the last 30 days? How much more have you shared your faith? Have you been more aware of it? Have you talked to anybody about God in the last month as we've talked about this? It's not enough for us just to know what's right it's also important that we what? Do what's right. James chapter 1 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And, and I think we've got to get back as a church to seeing helping people with the scriptures is a privilege. It's a real privilege. In fact, many years, I, I loved the Bible. I knew the Bible, but I couldn't help anybody else with the Bible. I didn't know how. And so if you can help somebody, why not? Okay, I did want to also talk about just how do you help someone become a Christian? Just some practicals. And then we'll get into kind of reviewing the study. So I talked about week two and week four. I I'd kind of fill you in a little bit. Week two. How do I move the hearts of somebody? Because I'm studying with somebody. I've studied with lots of people over the years, as many of you have. And I'll get with somebody and I'm and sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so will say, they're ready. And then I sit down with them and I'm like, they're not ready. Not because they didn't pass my standard, because they never embraced even the first study. So they acquired a lot of knowledge. They did a lot of agreeing. People did a lot of, and Jesus says, you need to, you need to deny your, so- yes! And you were kind of spoon-fed. But there was no expectation to obey what Jesus says. It was no different than a college lecture. You just sit there, someone talks to you, you nod your head, you take some notes, maybe or not, I don't know what you did, and you try to spit it back out for the test, but there's not a heart in it. And it's important when we study the Bible, we help move the heart versus just fill up people's heads with knowledge. Why not just set an MP3 with the scriptures and what they mean and good luck? Because when you interact with another human being, it helps you see you. It helps you. God designed it that way. How do we help move the heart? What do we look for in someone's heart if they're moved or not? And what do we do between the studies? Okay. How do you help move the heart? Mark eight thirty five. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So if you're studying the Bible today, this is a good test for you. Has your heart been moved? What have you gained? Here's what I look for, and this isn't an exhaustive list, incremental progress. Is this person moving forward? Not just showing up. I've had many people say to me before, I'll say, John, and that's just a made-up name, John, I don't think you're taking this serious. And John will say, but I'm here, aren't I? I could be doing a lot of other things. And I'll say, thank you very much, that's correct, but you're not doing me favors by being here, this is for you, but you could be here and not be really seeking God. I've been to every study, and I think that's great. But if you don't start applying it, it's just you're just taking in knowledge. You're not really repenting. Look, you look for number two, personal initiative. Who's initiating? Is the person that's studying and helping someone become a disciple? Are they doing all the calling? This is a great test, even if you are a disciple, in your discipling partnership, or in your small group, or in your relationships. Do people always have to follow up and check up on you, or are you an initiator? Do you take an interest in others? Great, A great uh, thing to see if someone's heart's moved is they start taking personal initiative. Hey, how are you doing? When is my next study? You know, you told me to read that verse. I read the whole chapter and it confused me. What do I do about it? Hey, I went and talked to so-and-so and I, you know, and you see an initiative. They want it. Number three, you see a process taking place where they start letting go and holding on. You go, that's a contradiction of terms. They start letting go to things that are not of Christ and they start holding on to things that are of Christ. Save it, lose it. Lose it, save it. A paradox that Jesus talks about. When you start seeing that going on, the letting go and holding on, you start realizing, hey, their heart's moving. Number four, they start reading and praying on their own. When I was studying the Bible many years ago, uh, the guy, Jeff Watson, that studied with me, he said, so I want you to review the studies, Marco, on your own. So I'd do this, because I was good-hearted. And then I'd forget. I'd leave. I'd show back up the next week. He'd go, so, we studied the word study. What'd you think? Oh, that was great. I loved it. No, but did you review it? Oh, I knew there was something I forgot. He goes, yeah, it's really important that you review it, because it's got to become something you own, something you believe. Okay, okay, okay. Guess what happened the next week? Da! Oh! And this went on for a few weeks, so... By week four, I didn't want to be embarrassed again. So I reviewed it in the car a week later before I went into the study. That was missing the points. Because I was just like, didn't want to be busted or embarrassed. So he said, did you review the study? I actually did. It was very good. Let's talk about it. It was like fresh in my mind. So it seemed like I was like so into it. But I missed the point. It wasn't my own hunger, my own going after it. So when you start seeing people reading and praying on their own versus only when you tell them or with you, you can see that they're starting, their heart is starting to move. They start wanting and taking challenges. Hey, I have this situation at work. What do I tell my boss? Hey, I know you talked to me about this. It kind of really bothered me and I want to talk about it. I, I know I'm probably a little bit in the wrong. I'm not sure why it bothered me, but can we talk about it? And when, you challenge, when I say taking the challenge, you know, you... you You take a challenge, and you're not just defensive or always uh, pushing back, but there's a sense of wanting to grow. Number six, you embrace a sacrifice transition from a have-to attitude to a want-to attitude. Oh, I have to stop sleeping around. Oh, I have to give up my cigarettes. Oh, I have to go to church every Sunday. Oh, I have to probably dig in my wallet soon, too, I bet. Oh, I have to talk to strangers. Oh, I have to deny myself... Early in the morning? What is this, quiet time thing? I'm quiet every night. Like just, there's this kind of a, oh, yeah, I know. i carry the cross. Thing really makes sense. To me. Like this, I have to versus I want to. It's hard, but I want to. You know, when I got married to Michelle, if you would have asked me beforehand, you overheard the conversation the night before, and, and uh, some of the buddy, my buddies were all hanging out and were talking, and they say, so Marco, how are you feeling about this marriage thing? Well, man, I, fellas, it's like in a, you know, I no more fun anymore. I mean, seriously, like I gotta hang with one person like most of my life now. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I gotta like meet her needs and stuff. And I mean, she's not like you, man. She's complicated, and and uh, she wants to talk all the time, but not that kind of talking. Like a different foreign language talking. and... And then it's like everything's my fault, man. And you know, and if, even if I'm not sorry, I've got to say it first because I'm like the, supposed to be the leader, dude. And, and you know, and then like I've got to be responsible for the finances. And if she's not doing well spiritually and emotionally, somehow it's my fault because I'm, I mean, think about it. You're like, why, why are you getting married? <laughs> Those are all true things. But how I said them and with the tone that I said them, Wah, wah, wah. It's depressing. It's a have to. Love makes you want to with things that you have to do. And when you start seeing sacrifice in and of itself has pain in it, it costs you something. When you start seeing a, hey, I want to do this. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I don't always in the best attitude, but I want to do it. I want to get there. I want to versus I have to. You start realizing their heart changes. And then you start seeing them share their faith with their friends and family. It's interesting. Somebody goes, yeah, I'm ready to get baptized. I say, well, have you talked to anybody you know about this? Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, why not? Oh, they wouldn't dig this, man. And you go, hmm, they're kind of keeping their life separate. Here they've got this whole new thing called Christ, the best thing that you could ever find, and they're keeping it separate. And when I was religious, I had my cool friends and my church friends. Are you saying that my church friends were uncool? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Now, you can see where my arrogance was at. I was one of the cool religious guys and though that, could also, that could hang out with both sides, but they were just cool, only at church and not be And I remember they said, Marco, hey, we're going to have a booth on campus at the U of A. Is one of these Christian groups. They said, you want, we need guys to man the booth. And I'm, like, looking for my contacts. I don't even wear contacts. I'm like, there is no way I'm ever getting in a booth. Maybe at a carnival, but not for religion. You are not putting me in a booth handing out stuff. I might see people. I know. Something was wrong there. When you become a disciple, you don't care anymore about how people see you. You want them to meet your church friends. They're the coolest people you know, right? Okay. Okay, what do I do? What do I do in between the studies? You say, I get my own time. I get a break. No. So much of moving the heart is what you do outside of six or seven studies. Now, obviously, six or seven studies is not formulaic. A lot has to happen that God does. But you've got to start somewhere, and you can't have 37 studies, or just look at one verse and go, you got it? Got it? Good, good. So you've got to have something. But it's what happens in between the studies that moves the heart as well. Jesus, you know, is with the guys, and John the Baptist, he's with John the Baptist, and John says, Jesus is coming on the scene, don't follow me anymore. Look, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Kind of like, don't follow me anymore. I took you as far as I can. That's who I've been talking about. And so they start following Jesus from afar. I don't know what the conversation was. You talk to him. You talk to him. You talk. I don't know. But they're following him, and Jesus knows. He senses they're following him. John 1, 35 and following. He turns around. He says, what do you want? And they're kind of like stunned. Uh, where are you staying? <laughs> like, they did not even know what to say. Where, where's your crib? Where are you living? Like, they just... It was just kind of awkward. Where are you staying? Jesus goes, come on, come and see. And so they went where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. Becoming a Christian is all about relationships, first with God, then with others. Being part of the church is all about relationships, first with God, then with, uh, with others. Making an impact in this world is all about relationships, first with God, so then you can give to others. But it's all about relationships, and Jesus said, "Hey, come, just spend some time with me." And if you read the Gospels, Jesus did it um, when he saw him call those guys, and they just dropped their nets. It wasn't like he just came out of the early morning mist at like four thirty-five a.m. He just kind of sort of walking through the mist. They looked, and he looked, and he looked, and they just followed him. They had heard of him. They had interacted. They knew of him. He had built trust. It wasn't just like he gave them the glance, the trance. And he just kind of, that wasn't it. They knew him. But when it was time to say, let's go, he came and said, hey, guys, let's go. And they knew. They had been talking about it. I think that was one of the times they talked about the heart. Of who Jesus was. So how do you do? What do you do between the studies? You pray a lot for the person. We are in a spiritual battle. You try to help somebody. Satan's over there with like the tug of war on the other side. Two friendship times. That doesn't mean you call up John and say, "Hey John, would you like to have some friendship time with me?" That's super weird. Or John, you know, in between the studies, we should be partaking in friendship time. Like that's weird. But if all we ever do is we're Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday and I have to D time Monday or Friday, that's weird. There has to be a connection. You go, I don't jog. Well, then cook. I don't cook. Paint. I don't paint. Watch a movie. I don't watch a movie. Hike. Do you understand what I'm saying? Find something and build a friendship. Prayer times together. I love... I love praying by myself more than I like praying with people, but I love praying with people. Because it's just so cool to hear someone's heart. And I love even saying when somebody goes, well, I don't really pray. I go, well, come with me. We'll pray together. And before you know it, they're like, oh, Lord. You know, I've never done this before. (laughs) But this is just... They just get... It like equalizes. The, The heart changes. Number four, get others involved to spend time. When you study the Bible with somebody, you don't want them only connected to you. Because when you're... You have a long, cold and bad sore throat and you're unavailable for two weeks. They're like, I've got to see Marco. He's the only one that knows me. He's the only one that understands me. When you're struggling spiritually, when you're in Tahiti on vacation, when you're at grad school, when you're out of town, when you move to a different part of the church and on and on and on, who's going to help them? Most people need about five to seven solid relationships. It's been been studied with teenagers. They need about seven relationships to make it in their faith. I think it's the same with adults. We need about seven relationships. doesn't mean they're all perfectly close, but people that know us and that we trust and that we work with, we've got to get others involved in the study. Number five, what is that? Fun. I thought that's friendship time. Yeah, but just having fun. Uh, Number six, serve them. And then number seven, get them to serve others. The whole Christian life is the life of being a servant. The whole Christian life is service. And there's something about it being all about you and suddenly realizing, wow, it's really not all about me. It's about serving. And then number eight, go out evangelize together. It's amazing how when people go out and share their faith, they're like, okay, I ain't talking to anybody, but I'll just go with you and I'll be like a few feet away pretending like I'm reading a paper or just this. Or whatever. It's amazing how even someone that's studying the Bible starts to share their faith or even watch it happen and there's something in their hearts that go, this is right. This is powerful. This is weird, but it's really fun. This is awkward, but this is cool. Like, something happens. It's the spiritual. Okay. How do you know if they're ready or not? Somebody's ready to get baptized. Ready. They're ready. Luke 3, verse 7 through 14, John the Baptist is preaching, and he says this. Produce what? In keeping with repentance. If there is real repentance, there will be fruit in that person's life their attitude will be different they're not gonna be perfect they're still gonna struggle but they're different he says produce fruit in keeping with repentance and then he goes on to talk about don't you know don't just he says he goes on he says do not begin to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father for i tell you that out of these stones god can raise up children for abraham they were trying to say hey we're jewish my dad was Jewish. My grandfather, my great-grandfather. We go back 18 generations. I'm good with God. He goes, don't rely on your lineage. You need to repent. There needs to be fruits of God's change in your life. And look what he says after this. The axe is at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And this is the spirit, if you can tell when someone's ready. What shall we what? There's a humility. There's a hunger. Tell me what? I need to do. Not a baby like, I, I won't do anything unless you tell me. But kind of a sense of a humility and eagerness. What do I need to do next? When somebody really gets their lost, they don't go, can we schedule this salvation thing for next, maybe two, in about seven weeks? Because, you know, I got a lot going on right now in my life. And um, then I got a vacation. And then, no, there's an urgency that takes place where they go, I want to get right now and then I'll go do everything else I need to do, but I want to get right now. And so they said, Oops, what shall we do? He says, the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him, and who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. The tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what did they say? What shall we do? That's how you know when someone's ready. Hey, when can I get baptized? What do I need to do? Is there anything left? Is there anything you haven't seen yet? He says, Don't collect any more than you're required to. Then some soldiers asked, And what did the soldiers say? What shall we do? So the crowd, the soldiers, and the tax collectors, all different people, different things to repent of, said the same thing. Hey, what do I need to do to get right? Just tell me. And he said, don't extort money. These are all things they were doing. Don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. And thirdly, be content with your pay. Soldiers didn't make a lot of money. He goes, repent here, repent here, repent there. When someone's ready, you'll see the spirit of what do I need to do. Okay, the transformation study. The transformation study, let's turn over to Acts chapter 2, verse 36, and the the purpose of the transformation study, we just studied out sin, right, and we studied out the cross. We studied out sin, defining what sin is, how it separates us from God, how it separates us from people, and what sin does to us. And when we looked at what a list of sin is in the Bible, there's about seven or eight comprehensive lists in the Bible of sin. They're not all the sins. You can already guess what most sins are without reading any list. But there's these lists in the Bible, and we talked about looking through that list. I always recommend people taking a dictionary, not a spiritual book, it's just the facts, and compare a dictionary to that list and start reading. Okay, the this Bible says sexual immorality is a sin. What does a dictionary say that is? It says factions is a sin. What is a dictionary? And I'm telling you, you look in the dictionary, you're like, oh, wow, that's a little harsh. Not God's word, the dictionary. Yes, it's God's word, the truth. But it's kind of realizing what that really means. And we talked about looking at sin, identifying sin, and kind of figuring out what does that mean for me? How have I been like this with God? How have I offended God in this way throughout my life? And kind of going back and being open, both of you, and then writing it down and then coming back and saying, this is what I see. If I'm going to really look in the mirror, this is what I see. And that's a hard exercise. Most every person's never done that in their whole life with any other person. Can I tell you something? Someday you will have to do it with God if you're not right with God. So I'd rather do it on this side of life when I can still deal with it versus Hebrews 4.13 says everything is going to be uncovered. Right? And laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I'd rather be humiliated, humbled now than later because I'm going to have to later. We talked about getting open and realizing that sin, the wages of sin, is death. How, How we live gives us no hope. And then we talked about the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, and how does that produce meaning in our life, and reading through the account, his physical pain, his spiritual pain, his emotional pain, and what sin does, the physical pain it causes, the emotional pain it causes us, the spiritual pain it causes us, and what Jesus did for us, and the reaction that should bring from us. I love that verse in Romans 5. It says, very rarely can you find someone to die for a good man. He goes, it'd be hard to find someone to go, hey, would you die for this guy? Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? He's a pretty good guy. Okay, I'm sure he is. <laughs> you know, good luck. I mean, good guy. He goes, rarely can you find someone that will step in and go, I'll die for the good guy. He goes. It'd be hard to find someone even for a super righteous guy. Hey, would you need to die for this guy? He was a holy man. He was super righteous. Would you mind exchanging your life? Just we'll kill you instead of him. Is that cool? He goes. But God demonstrated Romans five His love for us this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, so we didn't even make it in the category of a good guy or a righteous guy. Sinner. Like nobody would ever do that. And that should propel us to give up. I surrender. And so the transformation study is, after you've went through those studies, there's a sense of taking serious what Jesus did and changing your life from it. And in Acts chapter 2, if you look over there in verse 36, here's the very first sermon of the very first church. There was no churches before this. There was just Jews and everybody else. And he says, he preaches, Peter preached this sermon. He says, therefore, he closes out the sermon, all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, there's that saying again, look, brothers, what? That's the response of a humble person. That's the response of somebody that faces God and goes, Hey, what do I need to do to repent? Isn't that cool? Same spot, but many, you know, many chapters later, and that was at the beginning of the Gospels, this is the beginning of Acts. Peter replied two things. Repent, which means have a change of mind. You used to look at races this way, no longer. You used to look at women this way, now you look at women with dignity. You lo- used to look at guys like this, now you look at guys with trust and respect. You used to look at your boss this way, your situation this way, your money this way, your time this way, people this way, your mother this way, your family. He goes, Metanoia, you have a whole new world view. You look at them different now. You look at them the way that Christ would want you to. You look at them through the lens of, hey, he's Lord, it's his kingdom, it's what he wants for my life. How does God view them? That's how I need to view them. How does God want me to view this situation? That's how I need to view it. It's not our time, our money. How we, you know, Men and women aren't there just for our pleasure. What we want, don't want. And we learn to love and accept everybody. And it's hard. But that's what he's talking about when he says repenting. He says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, it's for you, it's your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You know, maybe God's calling you tonight. Are you just going to keep kind of pretending like you have a lot of wax in your ears? Like, yeah, yeah, here, God, yeah. I get you. I know. I know. I know. And I've told people this a lot. If you could fast forward your future with a remote control and you could see it on a screen, you know, and you knew you were going to die at a certain point and you are going to die at a certain point, as I am, but if you knew that that day was tomorrow, today, next week, I said, would you repent now? Oh, yeah. Why? Because I'm going to die. Yeah, but you're going to die anyway, and you don't know when. So why would you be urgent then? Because now I know it's now. The Bible says you don't know when. Today is the day of salvation. Why did not it say tomorrow is the day of salvation? Because we don't know. And fear alone won't drive us. Only love will stick. But fear is a fact. The fear of God is very important. God is powerful. And he says this promise, and he says with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Look at this. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The Bible teaches here that to become a true Christian, you've got to make Jesus Lord of your life, repent of your sins, and be baptized. And do it all through faith. God, I believe you. If this is what you say, I'm going to trust it's going to work. If you haven't done those things, then you're not right with God according to the Bible. And this is just one verse. There's about seven conversion stories in the Bible. If you go back and read through them, you'll see the same pattern in some variation that's very similar all throughout every conversion story in the Bible. We've got to have conviction about this and we've got to share about this and we've got to realize that the whole concept of being transformed is that it's good news on what God can do in our life when we're born again. You know, when you get on a highway, what do you do? You merge right and or merge left, depending on which side you get on the freeway, right? <laughs> Sometimes right, usually it's left. You guys get the point. When you drive on the highway, and this has happened to me before, I'll go to merge on and the people won't let me on. Has that ever happened to you before? Ah, yeah. wow, some feelings there, huh? I've gotten very angry before. Like, man, why even turn on the turning indicator? Just get aggressive. Because people, if you turn on the turning indicator, that just means, okay, speed up. Faster. And don't look in their direction. Just speed up. <laughs> but when we decide to follow Christ, when we decide to become a disciple, we're merging into God's traffic. <clears throat> and it's not up to us to just push God out of the way. We're slowing down our life, we're slowing down our will. We're yielding our will and we're getting onto God's path. We're the ones that are adjusting. We're, they, ha, God has the right away in our lives. He's moving alone with His plan for our lives. We need to merge with Him. We need to blend in what He's already doing. Our actions and plans need to yield to His will. He's never going to yield to our will. Now, I don't. That doesn't mean we can't pray for things or even change God's mind in the sense of like a. You know, a child can change a parent's mind. That's how much God loves us. But when it comes to following God's will in a general sense, there's no, he doesn't merge into our lives. He doesn't yield for us. We don't change his mind on that. If we're really going to repent, we need to slow down and merge into his traffic and go with what his will is in our lives. Practical application in this study. Is there anything you're holding back right now from being cut to the heart repenting, and being baptized. And if you're studying the Bible today, that's a great question. Is there anything you're holding back right now that's keeping you from being cut to the heart, repenting, and being baptized? Secondly, if the person that's questioning the necessity of baptism, have them go read through the conversions of, in the book of Acts. A lot of people say, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. I say, where does it say that in the Bible? They say, well, look in the Gospels. Jesus saved a lot of people and they never got baptized. And I say, had Jesus died yet? And they say, no, he's talking to them. Good. So in the Gospels, when people got saved, were they under the Old Covenant or the New? Jesus was still alive. He had not gone to the cross yet. The, those people were still under the Mosaic Law. They were still under the Old Covenant. And they didn't need to get baptized yet. Plus, if you read Matthew 9 or Mark 9, while Jesus was on earth, it says, quote unquote, he had the Authority on earth to forgive sins. So whether it was the thief on the cross or the bleeding woman or the paralyzed guy or pick somebody where he said your sins are forgiven. He, only he, ever had the authority to do that as one individual to another say your sins are forgiven. And it actually means something because he was still on this earth. But if you go back and read, the only place you see conversions in the Bible outside of Mark 9, Matthew 9. The only place you see conversions in the Bible outside of uh, what I just shared in the Gospels is the book of Acts. Everything else, there's 27 books in the New Testament. The four Gospels are the same story told from four different vantage points. Those conversion stories were pre-Jesus dying on the cross. The book of Acts was the Acts of the Holy Spirit. What happened after Jesus left? That's the only place you see people being saved. The other 21 books, is that right? No. 22 books that are left are not letters written to non-Christians. Non-Christians can get things from it, but they're all letters written to Christians solving problems, addressing issues, reinforcing conviction, reminding, dealing with all kinds of things, but they're writing to saved people. The only place you have examples of conversion is in the book of Acts. And there's about seven or eight. Go back and read them all. They're in the study that I handed out to you. And you can read through them all at one sitting and you'll see the necessity of these things. The church study... Let me talk about this here. We're just going to look at these three verses here in 1 Peter chapter 4. The purpose of the church study is understanding the privileges and the responsibilities that come with being part of God's family and the church. I don't know where you're at tonight with the church, but I can tell you this the church is made up of what? People who are sinful, sinners. So in the church, you're going to get hurt, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to go through very difficult times. There's going to be people that you're going to struggle liking, let alone loving. You're going to have people that, there's so-and-so from my three Bible talks ago. They still never paid me back for the refreshments. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, It's going to be there. You're going to have, there is no perfect church. There's only a perfect God with a perfect plan to have a church. And just like with marriage, a lot of people think you get married and it solves all your problems. I'll tell you something, being married is wonderful, but it does not solve all your problems. It actually reveals some new ones in you that you never knew existed. I'm not even talking your spouse. I'm talking, it forces you to be selfless and, and, and show unconditional love again and again and again in a way where you're like, now, wow, this is really hard. Okay, got to do what God wants. You know what I mean? just, And it's the same thing in the church. When you love each other and work together, it's hard. But I do want to say this. Do you understand that it's a privilege to be in the church? Yeah. It really is. It doesn't matter who the leader is or the structure is. It's a privilege. And just like in a marriage, if you don't see it that way, it gets stale, and you start looking at the other person and all their faults, and you become more of a have-to and a taker than a want-to and a giver. It's a privilege to be in the church. We need to live that way. And it, there's also responsibilities that come with being the church, in the church. You know, in college, it's very different than high school. In high school, if you don't come to class, they come looking for you. Right? They, the teacher will send a note to the office. The office now has automatic phone calls to your house. Your electronic, your daughter Marco, you know, your son Marco Palazzari was not. in, and, and not just the day... You know, Gina Pelizzari was not in fifth period today. Hey, Gina, where were you in fifth? I think I was there. I think you know. <laughs> oh! I got—I saw something glow across the way, and I followed it. You know what I'm saying? Like, in college, they don't come looking for you. In high school, there's there's truancy officers. You are legally supposed to be in school, and you can go get picked up by the truancy officer and physically arrested, to be brought to school. In college, they don't do that. And there is a responsibility when you're an adult that comes with being part of the church. It is your responsibility to use your gifts for God. You go, I don't have any. God, when God was making me, he left them out. <laughs> Please pray for me, though. It's my cross to carry if you don't have any role in the church, you're not giving in any way. Mm, come on. Really? Nothing to do in the whole church? No way you can help? We've we got to see there's a responsibility. Who pays for the church? You go, I don't know. That's I've been trying to figure that out for a while because it's surely not me. I'm just grateful that it's happening. Some of us come and we don't give week after week. And yet other people, and I've told you, you're living off the sweat of their brow. They're getting up early, they're going to work, they're going to bed late, they're getting up early, they're going to work, they're going to bed late. And they're sacrificing, not to the church, or to, for you, or for me, for God. But you're gaining from them because of your selfishness. You're not right? God sees it. God saw the woman with the two copper coins. He said to the apostles, Hey, look at this woman. Come here, look, pay attention. These guys, all these guys with all the fanfare, dropping their coins, making a show... Yeah, look at them too. Don't be like that. But look at her. She doesn't even know that they were having this conversation. See her? She's given more than all the rest. Those guys, they're just giving leftovers. She like went out on faith. She gave two copper coins. That's all she had. It was worth less than a penny. So it's not the amount. It's giving in proportion to what you've been given, giving consistently, giving sacrificially, and if you can, giving a tithe. You know, I sat down with Danielle and did her budget yesterday her first budget. It was interesting. And when we were done, she says, Dad, it's really hard to live. I said, it is. Because <laughs> she, she's making $1,000 a month. And I said, okay, first you take out the taxes, that's 200 She's like, what's that? Well, that's what pays for everything, roads and this and that. Then you take out a 10% for God, that's another 100 and I and, and she goes, I said, let me show you a scripture. She goes, no, no, I'm cool with it. I, I totally got the contribution debt. I'm down with that. I go, let me show you a scripture. I said, Danielle, this is the only scripture where God says to test me. Everywhere else, he says, don't test me. Don't mess with me. Don't test me. Here he goes, test me. Come on, test me. So I showed it to her. And she goes, Dad, I'm not worried about it. I've seen you and Mom give, and we've always been okay. I said, I want to read the scripture anyway, though, okay? Because someday you're not going to be making $1,000 a month. You'll be making a lot more, and it, it will be, a, it'll be harder and we went through it and then we subtracted this and subtracted clothing and this and it did, you know, after rent and food and everything, she had $137 left over a month for everything else that's not clothing, food, rent, contribution, taxes, or the internet, you know, the pitching and utilities. $137 left. So I said, what do you want to do? She said, concerts, $30. I'm like, okay, put it down. So we put it all down, everything, toiletries. What do you mean toiletries? Oh, I got to pay for that too? Yeah. (laughs) So we made the list. And then we realized we were like way over budget. I'm like, what's going to go? She's like, can't be concerts. Yeah. So we're like negotiating, trying to balance the budget to zero. But it's such a good exercise for a young lady, you know, just coming out of the house. Hey, how do I make this happen and still give to God? Look at First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And the Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should speak the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory and power forever and ever. It's a privilege and a responsibility to use our energy, our time, our talent, our treasure, everything we have, our speech... It's all God's. It all belongs to God. This is a huge steam train right there. It's called the big boy. Look at, I mean, it's like twice as big as most steam trains, and we don't use them anymore. But some of these steam trains, that 90%, 96% of the energy that that huge boiler, that's like a big boiling tank that they put coal from here into the fire, and it creates all this pressure that moves the train. 96% 96% of the energy goes to moving this seven, almost 800,000 ton locomotive. The other 4% is pulling the long train. And I think we've got to, as a church, not put all the energy have to be to getting us moving, and where there's nothing left over to pulling others along. We've got to put our energy and our hearts into building God's church. You ask somebody at the end of this, story, how important is God's church for your life? Are you ready to become part of this church and accept the responsibilities and then setting a time to getting baptized, counting the cost, where you just review all the studies? Let me just close with this story. Uh, This guy right here, I think he may have passed away right now, but his name's Don Bennett. He's a Seattle businessman. And in the 70s, he was in a boating accident where he cut off his leg. The boat cut off his leg. And he was so discouraged because he was so active and so athletic. And so he made a decision, I'm going to have to change... My hobbies and what I do. I want to stay active, but my leg is gone. And so he started skiing, and he started sea kayaking, and he started uh, anything, couldn't jog anymore, obviously. So anything that he could do, at least at that time in the 70s and 80s with prosthetics, he changed, and he was very active. He even started downhill skiing four months after the accident. But then he decided, I want to do something great. I want to climb Mount Rainier which is a four, over 14,000-foot mountain that you know people have died on before. And nine years later, he decided, and it was called the hop to the top because he only had one leg. And so that was before all the prosthetics that we use today and know today. And so he, along with his daughter and seven other people from a climbing team, or five others from a climbing team, climbed Mount Rainier, hopping to the top. Could you imagine 14,000, I think 110 feet, he climbed. And it, it's not... Flat, by the way, if you noticed, Mount Rainier. And it's a little snowy, too, and a little difficult. Many people have died on it. And what he said was this. When asked to share the most important lesson he learned from this celebrated achievement, he spoke of the team of individuals who helped him attain his dream. And he commented this, you cannot do it alone. That's what the church is for. We can't get to heaven alone. We can't stay righteous alone. We can't keep our hearts good alone. We can't make it to the top alone. If, and we're going to lose a leg along the way. It's going to be tough. But if we're going to make it and reach our dreams spiritually and make it to the finish line, we need help. And that's where the church comes in. So we're going to, we have about 15 minutes left. If I could just meet with the guest for those last 15 minutes. And you can go ahead and answer a couple of these questions and just close in a prayer. So thanks. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.